Let's start our study in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to tell an interesting story about a very successful, wealthy, young entrepreneur who bought himself one of those multi-thousands-of-dollar Porsches, and he was very proud of his crown jewel. It was his prized possession. He loved and baby that thing unlike anyone else. How many of you have seen that commercial where there's that big baby and he takes care of the baby and it's really his car? It's kind of like one of those. And this was his baby. This was his prized possession. And he decided he would take it on vacation. And when he got him to the Rocky Mountains, he got a little bit too close to the edge. He was going too fast. And the car hit that edge and began to roll off into the ravine down below. And he just barely was able to jump out, avoiding the catastrophic Demise of falling all the way down to the ravine with the car. And as he looked down below, as it hit the bottom of the ravine, it burst into flames. He crawled up to the very top of the ledge and looked over and down below. He could see his car in flames and all he could be heard saying, Oh, my Porsche. Oh, my Porsche. Oh, no, not my Porsche. Finally, a highway patrol who happened to be coming by stopped by got out to talk to the young man, and he pointed down below and he said, my Porsche, my Porsche, oh no, not my Porsche. And the man said, sir, we've got to get you to the hospital. He said, but you don't understand, my Porsche, my Porsche. The police officer insisted, said, man, you've got to realize, you've got to get to the hospital. He said, but you don't understand, my Porsche, my Porsche, not my Porsche. He said, sir, have you taken a look at your left arm? It's missing. And he looked down below and he said, oh no, not my Rolex too. We live in a materialistic culture, don't we? I mean, the pressure for us to accumulate more and more materialism, more and more stuff, more and more finances. I'm tired of watching HTV where first-time home buyers are buying 5,000 square foot homes. Who does that? At a million dollars. We are a culture that is striving for more and more and more. And there's a cultural pressure on us to, if we are not successful, to appear to be successful and to keep up with the Joneses. And there's this cultural pressure to consumerism and materialism and accumulate more. But that's not only the only cultural pressure we have today. There are a myriad of cultural pressures, and the culture is trying to press its way into our lives, even those of us who are Christ followers, to alter the way that we believe, the way that we view, the way that we react, the way that we act. And we have these pressures all around us, constantly bombarding us, attacking our beliefs and our values and our way of life. And many psychologists say there are two reasons why, or two components to what we call giving in to pressure. People normally give in to pressure because they lack information. This whole idea of not understanding fully what I'm being asked to comply or what I'm asking to change in my life to comply with this cultural norm. If I don't have all the information, all the knowledge, all the understanding, more than likely I'm more readily going to then embrace the cultural norm and the pressure to change. And because of a lack of information, many people bow to the cultural norms and to the pressure, and they change. The other component to cultural pressure to get us to conform to the norms of our society is get along. Get along. Be politically correct. And the pressure for us to be liked, and the pressure for us to be attractive, and the pressure for us to be 
accepted. We have a tendency, even when we're in a crowd of people, when there's something that is happening or something that is being said that we know in our heart of hearts and in our minds, that's not right, that's not true, that's not accurate. We have a tendency to want to get along. We don't want to speak out, and so we'll remain silent to our disbelief and our, and our unacceptance of this cultural norm that's being pressured by the majority of those that are around us. And so we just silently comply and we say nothing and we do nothing to change the cultural norm around us. That is happening today in our culture and many believers today are bowing to the pressure for acceptance and just conforming to the cultural norms of our society. Now don't get me wrong, I think we need some cultural norms. A speed limit is a good cultural norm because if we didn't have the law of of speed limits, how fast Or how much faster would you have driven to church today? And it's because of the cultural norm that we call the speed limit. We need those things in our society, those cultural norms that keep us in line with the values and the beliefs and the actions that that sort of, you know, help our culture survive and relate to one another. But when those cultural norms defy the cultural norm of the Bible, And what God says, then what do we do? Then what do we do? Today we're going to look at Lot in Genesis chapter 19. Lot was the the son of the nephew of Abraham. He died young and Lot was very young. and, And as a result of that, Abraham took him under his wing. And in all fairness to Lot... Lot did not hear God calling him to a distant country that God would show him later. God didn't ask Lot to leave home and leave his mom and dad and all that he knew and travel to Canaan, travel to the promised land. And yet because Abraham had taken him under his wing, he simply went with Abraham to a distant country. And when they arrived in Canaan, when they arrived in the Jordan Valley, it was Lot who made the choice to settle in Sodom near Gomorrah, one of the most wicked cities that existed in that cultural setting in that day and time. And Lot, even though he lived in the most wicked culture, the most wicked civilization in his day and time, and they were more wicked then than we are today, if you can believe it or not. The Bible says in 2 Peter that Lot was a righteous man. Lot was a righteous man. Man, I, I challenge you to go to some commentaries and take a look at Lot. There are a lot of people that really bash this guy like nobody's business. They really do. But in my study in the last couple of weeks, I've learned to believe that Lot was a righteous man. And I have to go with what God says, all of the Word of God, and you've got to take in what it says about Lot in the New Testament. Lot was a righteous man. The Bible says, God says that he was righteous. He lived in a cultural setting, a cultural norm that was more wicked than what we live in today, and yet Lot was able to rise above the cultural setting in which he lived in, and he was able to live righteous according to God. Didn't mean that he was perfect by any means but he kept his faith and he kept the integrity of his faith in the long run wasn't perfect 
but he was righteous. And God looked upon Lot and judged him in the New Testament. And God says through Peter's writing that he was a righteous man. So I want to take this passage in Luke, in Luke, in Genesis 19, and I want us to understand what is being said here about Lot and how he was able to rise above the cultural pressures of his day so that we can learn how we might be able to rise above the cultural pressures in our day that are trying to get us to conform to the norm of our society. And we must, as believers, rise above the cultural norms, above the cultural pressures, and live righteously. And we can do that if we'll stay faithful to God. So how do we do that? I want to look at seven things, what I see in Genesis 19, beginning with verse 1. Rising above cultural pressures, first of all, I must reflect a clear, I must reflect a clear difference. There's a clear difference. Look at the first half of verse 1. The Bible says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. These two angels are the two angels that we studied last week and the week before. The three sojourners that approached Abraham, and he was sitting at the front door of his tent, and he saw them coming. He went and he bowed before the Lord. He recognized it was the Lord. He offered them a meal. They accepted the meal. They ate the meal. They had an after-dinner conversation in which they told Sarah and Abraham they were going to have a son named Isaac, even in their senior adult years, and they proceeded to walk away. And Abraham was walking with the Lord and the two angels. Remember we saw last week the prayer that he prayed, beseeching on behalf of those who were about to be judged for their sin. He said, Lord, give them more time. And the angels departed and they left. And now they have arrived in Sodom. The continuation of last week in Genesis 19 from, verse, from chapter 18. And as they arrive in Sodom, notice, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. We learn in Genesis chapter 13 as Abraham and Lot arrive in the Jordan Valley and they're standing on the hill and they're looking down at the Jordan Valley below. They're seeing this plush green grass, this, this beautiful orchard of trees, this forest that's down there and all the beauty. They had been in the desert area for quite some time, living in the mountains and all the brown and all the deadness that's there. And all of a sudden they come upon this area and they're looking down below in the valley of the Jordan and, and they see all of that and they see Sodom and Gomorrah. And we learn in Genesis 13 that Lot was given preference over where he would settle and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah, and he yearned to live among them. We see that in Genesis 13 that he moved away from Abraham and moved down into the valley below, and he pitched his tent. He set up camp. He built his home near Sodom. You see later on in Genesis chapter 14 that we learn that 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 he's moved not from the outskirts of Sodom, that he's moved inside of the city gates, inside of the city walls. He's living among the Sodomites. He's doing that primarily for protection, more than likely. And it's easier to conduct business. And I believe Lot thinks that it's easier to influence the culture from within the culture rather than from outside of the culture. And many church planters would today would go... He's doing it right. He's trying to come in and he's trying to change the culture from the inside out. And he's moving into Sodom, I believe, to change, to alter, and to sort of contradict what the culture is presenting as the norm. Because remember, the cultural norm of Sodom was wickedness. 
and he's taking an opportunity influence. And if you go down now to 19.9, which we're going to see in a minute, I believe that we learned something about Lot in 19.9. We learned in 19.9 where they are resisting Lot, and they make a statement which I think is incredible. They say, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. He came to sojourn. In other words, Lot was an outsider. Even though he lived inside of the city walls and he put up his residence inside of the city, he was different. They recognized the difference. There was a clear difference in how Lot lived and how they lived, and they saw the clear, distinctive difference. I think one of the major reasons why we are not impacting our culture today and changing the norm is because they are not seeing from us as believers and from the church of Jesus Christ today a clear, distinctive difference between how we live and how they live. The reality is they look at our lives and our lives reflect exactly the same cultural norms that theirs do. We have embraced the cultural norms around us and very few of us look any different than the culture around us. Take a look at what the modern church is offering today in their worship services. And if we're not careful will not reflect a clear, distinctive difference in us and them. And we must set ourselves apart from the world, and they must see, I think, this clear, distinctive difference between us and them. And as they look at us, and as they watch us live, and as they watch us act, and as they watch us do business, they say, you know what? That person's a believer. And, and, and if we don't rise above the culture norm and reflect a clear, distinctive difference between us and them, we'll be engulfed by the culture around us and we'll be swallowed up. We'll not only lose our effectiveness, but we'll lose our witness. So in rising above the cultural norm, we must reflect a clear difference. Number two, we must respond to God's activity. We must respond to God's activity. The second part of verse one, when Lot saw them... They were coming through the city gates. They came up to the city, came down through Main Street, and they were walking through the gate, and Lot saw them. He saw them. He recognized them. They were clearly different than anyone that had walked through those gates before. These were two distinct men. Remember, they're not just men. They are angels that are putting on the appearance of, a, of men. And they are tall. And many believe that they are extremely, extremely handsome, kind of like Mark and myself. I, I included that in you, right, Mark? I just thought I'd... You want to shoot at me, you have to shoot at him too, and I'm safer but bringing him in on the deal as well. Two very tall, handsome, very beautiful, very attractive individuals are walking through the gates, and everyone, I'm convinced, everyone who saw them walking into the gates of the city were in awed by their appearance, but it was Lot who saw that they were not just mere men. I think Lot saw that there was something godly, something divine about them. Something with a clear, distinctive difference. For Lot saw them, and he got up from his... Now, don't underestimate this. He rose to meet them. Lot was in a prominent place in the gate of the temple, of uh, the gate of the city, not the temple, the gate of the city, in which he had taken extreme measures, not only to become financially independent and financially powerful to influence the culture, but he was politically connected. He was sitting at the gate of the city, it means that the gate of the city was where all the political influence 
was going on. It was all the financial decisions that were being made. It was all the economic stuff that was happening. And so he was seated, many believe, in the government powerful position. And he was sitting there among the others who were there in Sodom and they were engaged in business or political affairs or whatever. And he saw the two and he rose from that position of power. And notice as he rose, he bowed down himself. He bowed himself with his face to the earth. Why did he do that? Because he recognized that these two were of divine origin. They were there on an assignment. There was an activity that God was doing and he wanted to be a part of it. And he put his face literally in the dirt before them in submission and in service. I am submitting to you. I am now available to the Father who sent you as your servant. The activity of God was happening in Sodom among all the the wickedness that was going on. He recognized the activity of God was present amongst all the wickedness. I don't care how wicked our culture gets in the United States of America. God's not dead. God is not asleep. God is not silent. God is not inactive. God is still acting. I went last summer to the SIN conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and I saw six to 7,000 young adults gathered together for a missions conference and were surrendering their lives toward missional activity to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. And I was in awe at the activity of God among young adults. And many tables say, you know what? God's dead among young adults today. That's not true. Because when the, when, when the satanic activity and wicked activity rises, so does the activity of God also rises. And you and I must understand that we must develop eyes to see the activity of God and ears to hear the invitation of God and minds to discern when God is active so that we can join God in what God wants to do amongst us in order to alter the activity of the cultural norm in our culture and in our community. God is working today. We saw last week several baptisms. We've seen some more this week. God is active in our midst. And we must, like Lot, rise from where we are to join God in what he is doing. And when we do that, we rise above the cultural pressures and the cultural norms, and we are empowered when we join the activity of God. Number three, he reached for community. Lot reached for community, and we must reach for community. He longed to fellowship with other righteous people. Can you imagine Lot is the only one in a city of hundreds, maybe thousands, the only one who is righteous in the whole city, him and his whole family? Can you imagine how lonely that must be? And all of a sudden he recognizes these two people are of divine origin. They're there on an activity of God, and he wants to meet them. And notice verse 2, and he speaks. They don't speak. He speaks first. And he calls them my lords. He recognizes in them this position of authority and this status that they have. He says, my lords, please. He's pleading with them. Turn aside to your servant's house. He's asking, he's requesting that they change direction. They're headed in this direction. And he's, please alter your course. Change your direction and come to my house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early in the morning and go on your way. The request, come to my house. The reason? It's late. You've been on a journey. I can tell your feet are dirty. You need to be refreshed. In other words, you need a bath. 
I like them. Anybody around you need one of those? They needed a bath. They needed refreshment. But they also needed rest. He didn't know why they were there. He didn't know what they were about. But he assumed that they needed rest. Did they? No. They were there on an assignment. But nevertheless, he invites them. Why was he longing to invite them to his house? I think one of the main reasons is that he wanted community. He wanted to fellowship. He wanted to connect. He wanted to relate to other righteous people because that would bring encouragement to his witness and his walk among such in wickedness. Why do we, why do we gather together week to week, Sunday to Sunday at Emmanuel Baptist Church? The Bible says in the passage that we're looking at in the last seven weeks, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some. You know, not attending the community and the fellowship has been a, a historical problem from the beginning of the church. People from the foundation early on in the church just chose not to come together. But he's encouraging them because one of these days the trumpet of God's going to blow and, and, and Christ is going to return. And, and coming together helps us not only prepare for that event, but it helps us live for the Lord in the culture that we currently live in and we need to come together there's that rhythm that needs to happen in your life and in my life where we come together and we fellowship and we encourage and we support and we pray and we minister and we go out into the world and then we come back on Sunday again and we do it again and then we'll go out and we come in and if this rhythm is not in your life it's going to be hard for you to live above the cultural norms and the pressures of our society and to stay strong in your faith. I think one of the main reasons why many compromise and they just throw in the towel and walk away and give up and stop and they quit is because of a lack of reaching out to connect with a community of faith and other like-minded righteous people. It's good to be among other people of like mind, of like righteousness. Because it, it helps us stay strong in our faith. So we must reach for community. Number four, we must respect the environment. You may find this kind of strange, but this, I think, helps us rise above the cultural norm, is to respect the environment that we live in today. Yes, respect the wicked cultural norms of our day. Why respect it? Notice what happens in the second part of verse 2. The angels say, no, we will spend the night in the town square. What is their answer to the request? No way. Why are they saying no to this invitation? Because that's not the purpose for which they are in Sodom. That's not the reason why they're there. They're not there for a social visit. They're not there for a fellowship. They're not there for a meal, which maybe means they're not Baptist. They're there to do business with the Lord. And notice his argument. But he pressed them strongly. It, it's almost like he's in a court of law and he is pressing sort of like he was in a court of law. He's arguing his case before them. He's pressing them strongly. There's a, an urgency about him. There's a passion about him. There's a desire about him to bring them into his house. And notice the allowance or the agreement. And they turned aside to him. They turned from where they were going and they entered his house. And he, Lot, made them a feast, which means more than likely they were Baptists. And he baked unleavened bread, and then they ate. That word ate means they ate heartily. Let me ask you something. Why was Lot not wanting them to spend the night 
in the town square because he knew the culture of Sodom. He knew the culture. He knew that if they spent the night in the town square, that their lives would be at risk. He knew that he needed to protect them. You see, he was unaware that they were angels. He thought they were men. He knew they were spiritual men. He knew they were of divine origin. He knew they, were come, they, they, they had come from God. He knew that they were there for a divine reason. He didn't know what that was. And he didn't want those men in the square when night fell. Why? Because wickedness is committed when? In the darkness. And he knew the, the woolly boogers were coming out. And the evil was going to rise. And they would see these two men sleeping in the city square, and they would become targets, if not victimized, by those in Sodom. He was smart. He was wise. He was aware of his environment. And I'm convinced that that Lot was the kind of individual that had a, a wall around his residence. I don't know if you've ever lived in a foreign country or not, but I have. I lived in Brazil. And we did not have a home in South America, Brazil, that did not have a wall that was at least this thick all the way around it. I, as children, we used to have fun running on the wall around our house. And the wall was at least 12 feet tall, made out of solid stone and brick and masonry. And sometimes, if you really wanted to be secure, you would put pieces of glass on top of it so people wouldn't skimmy over the wall without cutting themselves. And I'm convinced that he lived in such a residence because he knew of the evil environment that he lived in in Sodom and he wanted to protect his family. We learned that he did a pretty good job because we're going to learn in a minute that his, his young daughters were virgins in a, very, in a very bad cultural setting, a wicked environment. His children were godly and they were virgins. And so he had protected his family and he wanted to protect them. And I think it's important for us to understand that we have to protect our children, but we must respect our environment. We live in a, a wicked culture today. And we must do everything we can to understand the environment in which we live, because if we don't, we're going to put our dukes down, and we're going to become victimized by the culture around us. We're in a war, people. This is a battlefield. Wichita, Kansas. The heart of of the United States of America, the center of the map. We think we are isolated from all the cultural norms that are infecting the, the East and the West, but we are not. We are the center of demonic and satanic activity just as much as they are, and we must understand the environment in which we live, and we must do everything our, that we possibly can, not only to protect our witness, but also our children and our children's children. And if you don't respect the wickedness and the fact that you have an enemy that is seeking to devour and to destroy you, you're going to be lazy, you're going to compromise, you're going to put down your dukes, you're just not going to engage in warfare, and you will be victimized if you're not respecting the environment in which we live. Don't underestimate our culture. And respect this wicked environment in which we live and understand that you're on a battleground, not a playground. Number five, we need to recognize the depravity in our culture. Look at what happens in verse four. But before they lay down, before they were able, after the meal, to lay down and to go to sleep, 
The men, the two angels, the, 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 the men, the two angels before they could lay down, before they go to sleep, and, and they could turn out the lights and everybody go to bed. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old. I, I think it's interesting, both young and old. We have a tendency to think that depravity is something for young people. I'm going to tell you something. Old people can be just as depraved as young people. Can I get an amen, young people? Huh? Well, it's those young adults. You know what? Senior adults can be pretty depraved. Amen? Uh, You're hesitating, right? It's not just the young committing sin. It's also the old. And he says, the young and the old were depraved. All the people uh, to the last man, every man in Sodom, I don't know how many that is, but that's a lot, surrounded the house. It was like a, a military tactic. They surrounded Lot's home, verse 5, and they called out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Where are they? They didn't know where they were. They knew in the house, but they didn't know where. Notice their request. Bring them out to us that we may know them. Were they wanting a, 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 a social a fellowship? Sit down and have a meal and have a banquet or a, maybe a picnic? It's not what they wanted. They wanted sexual relations with the two men. Men wanting sexual relations with these men all of the men all of the men all of the men of the city of Sodom surrounded Lot's house and demanded that they come out so that they could have sex with them that's depravity that has reached a cultural norm in that city where everyone is depraved. And I'm convinced that Abraham was aware of the depravity in his city. That's one of the main reasons why he brought those two men into his home under his protection and under his care. He was aware of the depravity. And I think sometimes many of us are unaware of the depravity. We have become desynthesized. We have become theological midget, so to speak, to what is going on in our culture. I remember when I was in Brazil, and, and well, let's, let me take this example. I remember I went to, uh, to, uh, to Europe and talking to some of the Christians there, and, and we got to talking about how they could go to the beaches because most of the beaches in Europe are topless. Well, matter of fact, we couldn't take our American young adults, our teenagers, to the beach. <laughs> we weren't about to do that. And, and, and I asked the question, I said, how can you become desynthesized to that? Well, it was a cultural norm. You see, over a course of time, they had become desynthesized to the depravity of their culture to the point where less and less and less bothered them. I wonder if we as believers in the United States of America today have become desynthesized by the depravity that goes on in our culture. What do you watch on television? You know, I I know of a pastor. It drives me nuts. His favorite TV show is what, Brother Gail? Huh? The Modern Family. The Modern Family. If that's your favorite show, shame on you. 
Their objective is to desynthesize. He puts that on his website, on the church website, as his favorite TV show. And he's Southern Baptist. Who does that? No wonder we're having trouble in our churches today. We're not recognizing depravity. Well, it's just a TV show. Hogwash. And their objective is to continually, slowly desynthesize us to the point where our cultural norm in our church, in our lives, in our families is no different than theirs. And churches today are embracing depravity where the Bible says, no, they're saying, but we want to get along. We want to be politically correct. We want to be accepted. We want to be successful. We, we don't want to offend anybody. This offends. How are you going to know you're a sinner unless it convicts you of sin? I mean, one of the things I talked about Debbie when she came to my office uh, Friday was the conviction that took place in her heart that she knew that, that her life wasn't right and that she needed Jesus. Right, Debbie? I mean, I was like, no, that's okay, Debbie. It's all right. You're a good person. You don't really need to be convicted of sin. Let me assure you you're going to heaven and just tell you everything's going to be all right because God is a loving God and he doesn't deal with depravity and we're all going to make it because all roads lead to the same place, just climbing the different sides of the mountain. And so we've lost our sensitivity to the depravity of our culture. And how can we rise above the culture if we become like the culture? Number six, we need to reject all compromise. Wow, time has flown. Number six, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Does that shock you that he called these Sodomites his brothers? My brothers, They're, are they his brothers? No. But, but notice what's happening here. He's trying to appeal to their sensitivity. Behold, uh, you know, I, I'm taking a stand here and I'm not sure my stand's going to help much, but let me suggest something. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. They're virgins. Let me bring them out to you, and you do to them as you please. I only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Compromise. How do you avoid compromise? Let's just look at the positive here. I could, I could camp on the negative here, but I'm going I'm to look at the positive here. And I'm going to give you a mini sermon inside of a very long sermon, but there are five things that help us avoid compromise. Number one, confront the sinner. You avoid compromise by confronting the sinner. Lot went out, and he confronted the sinners. You cannot rise above your culture and be pacifist, and be neutral, and stay silent. You have to take a stand. Not only that, but he closed the door of opportunity because when he came out, he closed the door behind him. 
He didn't want them getting through the open door and getting access to the He closed, and some of us need to close the, close the door of opportunity. We have, we're taking a stand, but we're leaving a door here so that the enemy can sneak in. We're leaving opportunity for the enemy. And I, man, we could camp there for the next 45 minutes. You got to close the door of opportunity. We got a call for righteousness. If you notice, he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act out so wickedly. Don't do this wickedness. He called out for righteousness. If we as a church and we as individual members don't call out for righteousness in a wicked culture, we are going to be engulfed and we're not going to be able to rise above the culture around us. Number four, we need to care for the weak. His girls were physically, spiritually weak. They were under their father's care. And I don't care how some commentators try to justify this. This is unacceptable to me. Unacceptable. I don't care if there's a law to the visitor in your home, and this was the lesser of the evils. They're both evil. And to offer his daughters is bad, and we must, I'm convinced, care for those that are weak. And we, that's why we come together. For some of us are stronger than others, and we help the weak. But you know what the Bible says? You, when, when you're strong, you help the weak, because there's going to come a time you might be weak, and you're going to need somebody to come alongside you who is strong. There, there are some of us who are strong today, but we may be weak tomorrow. Some of us who are weak today may be strong tomorrow. That's why we need each other. we got to stand together. And lastly, we need to commit to never yield to the pressure. Never yield. He didn't want to give up the two, but he's willing to give up his orders. I'm convinced yielding is not acceptable. It's not. We need to reject all compromise. I don't care what pressure is put upon us. And pressure is about to be mounted. Notice, it gives us point number seven, realize and when I confront my culture, I'm inadequate to protect myself. Don't get cocky. Realize that you are inadequate to protect yourself. Notice, but they said, these, these men, all of these men from Sodom who were standing around the home demanding, stand back! And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with him. Then they pressured hard. They pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. Notice the they. Notice the men. They challenged his stand. When you take a stand, they're going to challenge your stand. I think that's one of the reasons why most of us don't want to take a stand is because we know we're going to be challenged by that. They said, stand back. Get out of the way, man. Uh, you know, did, did, did Lot think or do, do we think sometimes that when we take a stand against the world, they're just going to say, okay, and walk away? You win. I give up. No fight. It's not going to happen. Notice they criticized his motive. Are you the judge? You're not one of us, and yet you stand in judgment over us? Have you, have you ever heard that by the world out there? Who made you the judge? You're not being political. This is the judge. This says our culture is wrong. 
And we have the authority of the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, to stand up and call for righteousness and say, what you're doing is unrighteous. They questioned his motive. Now be careful when you do that. You do it in the right spirit. But they will question your motive. They'll come back with threats. They said to here, we're going to, now we will deal worse with you than with them. I don't know how worse it could be than to have sex, men with men, but they're saying, Lot, we're going we're gonna to deal with you worse than we with him. I don't know about, I don't know what would be worse than that. They threatened him, trying to intimidate him. And the world will do that when we stand up. They will try to intimidate us, and they will combine their strength. Notice it says, and they, together, all of the men pressed hard against the one man, Lot, to the point where they were about to break down the door. Lot could not sustain them. He could not prevent the attack from happening. He was one man, but watch what happens. Verse 10, but the men, the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great. The unimportant and the important, everyone there, everyone included, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. The angels stretched out through the door and grabbed Lot's hand. And they pulled him in and they secured the perimeter. They closed the door. You know, when God closes a door, no one can open it. Because the hand of God is there keeping it closed. And because of that, they were sustained from attack. Did you notice that in spite of all of that, they didn't, still st- they didn't stop? They didn't stop. They still continued to try to get access to the two men. In stubborn rebellion, even though God was holding them back, they still pressed against the will of God and sought to fulfill the lust of their hearts. But the point that I want to make is this. You in and of yourself cannot rise above the culture and take the stand that God wants you to take without him and his help. And in your darkest hour and your toughest time and your weakest moment, when you think you're about to be overcome, he will come in and he will pick you up and he will bring you into his care And he will hold off the enemy and he will protect you. They'll keep coming, but they won't be successful. Because you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So as we close, let me ask you how you're doing with the cultural pressures around you. Are you rising above the cultural pressures? Are you being swept in, sucked in, drawn in? Are you resisting? 
Maybe you're giving in, throwing the towel because you're trying to do it in your own strength. And the reality is you can. And today you just need to abandon your own strength and your own power and your own ability and say, you know what, Lord, without you, I can't make this happen. And so I invite you to come into the battle, to renew my spirit, to empower and enable and equip me to be able to rise to the challenge and to take a stand for you. Maybe you've given in and you've, you finally recognize, you know what, there's some things... Uh, the cultural norms have sort of swept me in and I'm, I'm compromising on some things and, and I, need to, I need to have a cleansing. I, I need to, I've left the, the opportunities there and, and Satan's taken some opportunities that I've given him. I need to close the door on some of those opportunities. I've been surfing the internet in places I shouldn't. I've been reading things I shouldn't be reading. I've been walking into places I shouldn't be going. I've been looking where I shouldn't be looking. I've been hearing what I shouldn't be hearing. I've been thinking and feeling what I shouldn't be thinking and feeling. And I'm, I'm leaving the enemy too many opportunities. And I want to today close those doors of opportunity and shut the enemy out. And I just can't seem to do it in my strength. But in his strength, he can and he will keep the door closed if you will trust him enough to do that. So are you rising above the cultural pressures? Because they're a reality today. So where are you in the struggle with the culture around us today? Let's pray. Good morning. If you would like, you could be seated as we continue to worship this morning through the ordinance of baptism. We have four coming this morning, and we get to celebrate God's activity in their life. This is Brianna, and Brianna uh, was invited by a friend's aunt to come and to try out Emmanuel. Uh, she had been looking for a church home, and uh, at, through that invitation, she came last week and said, uh, this is where I need to be. And uh, she's been following Christ for a couple years in her life, but had never followed through in believer's baptism. So, Brianna, you come this morning saying that you've asked Christ to become your Savior and your boss, and it's your desire to be marked as his follower for the rest of your life? because of that decision, it's my privilege to get to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism and we're raised to walk in newness of life.
This is Chris. And you know, sometimes when we're here on Sunday morning and uh, the invitation comes and closes, uh, we've heard the statement several times that uh, we didn't see God do anything. But folks, God continues to move beyond the hour that we are here. And last Sunday morning, uh, Chris, who had been invited by a friend to come and to worship, has been coming a couple weeks. After the service was over last Sunday, came down and said, you know what? I've not experienced that the eternal life that I've heard about, and I know I need to get that settled this morning. So last Sunday, after the service at the front of the church here, Chris asked Christ to come into his heart and to be a Savior and boss. And Chris, with that decision, is it also your desire to be marked as a follower of Christ for the rest of your life? Yes. Because of that decision this morning, it's my privilege to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in heaven. And we're raised to walk in newness of life. This is Fred. Fred also came at the end of the service last week and he said, uh, I need to find out what you guys have been talking about. And uh, after we visited a little bit, Fred asked Jesus to come into his heart to be his savior and his boss. And Fred, is it your desire to be marked as a Christ follower for the rest of your life? Yes. Because of that decision, it's my privilege to get to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. We're not done yet. How about that? Don't go under yet. <laughs> Debbie Hunt. Uh, known her for over eight years. She has uh, three beautiful daughters and uh, two. Uh, one handsome son-in-law and the other two not quite so handsome. But uh, I'd like to invite her family to stand at this time. If you're here, you're a part of her family, would you guys stand? That you normally sit right over there. <laughs> Debbie wanted to make sure that I kind of shared a brief testimony. Uh, she's been hit with a little bit of liver complication, a liver disease that has, it sort of challenged her to rethink her commitment to Christ. And she realized that uh, she wasn't quite ready to meet her maker spiritually. And she says that this liver disease is the greatest blessing that she could have ever had because it brought her to the understanding of her need to completely turn her life over to Jesus. She said some words before, but never turned from a life of sin and turned toward Christ. Not that she was a real big sinner, but uh, <laughs> she was a sinner nonetheless. But, uh, and so last Friday, uh, we came into my office and we had a talk and she prayed to receive Christ and she turned her life completely over to him. So if you'd like to celebrate Debbie Hunt's decision today and join us in standing and affirming that decision, would you stand at this time, congregation? Debbie, it's with great privilege that I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death, to walk with Christ in the power of his resurrection. <laughs> 